The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. For those of you that don't know, my name is Michael Bingham, or MD to most people. Thank you so much. It's perfect. Uh, I'm one of the elders here, and I just want to welcome you guys. For anyone that's joining online, we're glad to have you as well. And just real quick, just to all the dads and granddads, happy Father's Day. Uh, we love you guys. We're so thankful for the way in the which that you minister here at Stone Oak. Um, we're going to continue our series through Psalms this morning. Uh, we're going to jump into Psalm 84. So if you grab, get your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn there. As you're getting to Psalm 84, you're going to see a title. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV, and my title says this. It says, my soul longs for the courts of the Lord. And then the subtitle says, to the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Gittith is thought to have been a musical instrument or maybe a musical term like crescendo or falsetto. Uh, others believe, and I kind of like this one, that, they, that it was a specific tune that some of the psalms were set to in music. I like that one. I want us to really look at the second part of the subtitle, though. It says it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, the sons of Korah, they are attributed with writing 11 psalms. And you may be asking, who are these guys? Or you may not even care, but I'm up here, so I'm going to tell you who they are. Uh, the sons of Korah, well, they were the descendants of a man named, anybody got a guess? Korah, good job. I'm glad you guys are with me. Now, Korah, he was a descendant of Levi, and so that made him a Levite. And like all Levites, they were set apart and separated from the rest of the tribes of Israel and their inheritance. And each of the Levites, their clans, their families, they were entrusted with certain duties. And Korah's duty with his family, well, they were to take care of the furniture and the utensils that went with inside the tabernacle, okay? That would be the table for the showbread, the lampstands, the Ark of the Covenant. Don't miss that. It's a pretty big one. These guys were entrusted with the most sacred objects to care for and maintain, and with all that trust and all that responsibility, Korah was dissatisfied. He believed he deserved something more. And he thought he deserved to be a priest. He didn't like the idea that the priests, the high priests specifically, were established through the line of Aaron. That's not fair. I deserve that. And so what he did is, he rounded up two of his Reubenite buddies. They're not even Levites. They're just other parts of Israel. Their names were Dathan and Abiram. And these three guys, they colluded together and they stirred up 250 other leaders of Israel to rebel against Moses and Aaron. And there came a day where they were demanding of Moses to speak to this atrocity that I don't get to be a priest. And in that moment, 
In number 16, we see, excuse me, God kind of taps Moses on the shoulder and says, this is what you're going to say. All you that are standing a little close to Dathan and Abiram, Korah, man, you guys, you need to take a step back. And then it says that the earth opened up and it swallowed them whole. It said it swallowed all the possessions of Korah. For Dathan and Abram, it specifically says that his wife, their wives and their sons and their little ones were all consumed. Sounds like the story ends there for the sons of Korah. Until we get to chapter 26, verse 11, where it says they did not perish. You see, they were uniquely spared by the mercy and the grace of God. They could have easily have been swallowed whole with the rest of them, but God spared them. And as time went on, they recognized the task that was entrusted to them, that Korah missed. It was a gift to get to be near and around the presence of God. And so, in this realization, they wrote at least 11 psalms that we know of. Most of them you would probably recognize if you, if you read through them. They've been turned into songs and hymns over the years. But they had a joy and a desire to rejoice in that which was given to them. And so that's your background, okay? That's who these guys are. Uh, I think it's going to help understand just the heart behind this, ver- this chapter specifically. You see... Chapter 84, Psalm 84, it is a psalm of rejoicing regarding a trip. How many can get excited about an upcoming vacation? Yep. Yep. All right. See, this past January, Leanne and I, we had a chance to take our boys to Disney World. And I'll tell you, if you want to see rejoicing, like (laughs) eager expectation, you need to find yourself a kid on their way to Disney. All right? They don't even know why they're excited. They're, they're excited about what they might see, what they might get to do. It doesn't even matter if they've never been. They're just excited because they've heard what it might be like. And these, this chapter, the Korites are excited that the Israelites are on the way to the temple. How many of us this morning, though, when we woke up, man, we were rejoicing the opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ this morning. How many were rejoicing at getting to, to come here and be renewed and refreshed through the, the preaching of the word and the singing of God's praises? I think if we're honest, it'd be less than those of us that get excited for vacation, right? But this psalm, we're going to see one where the Korites, where they, where they long to be, where their desire to be is, where they find their joy I'm going to break this up into three sections, and we're going to focus on desire and joy, this this first section, okay? Let's just jump right in. It says, verse 1, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Okay, stop right there. Have you ever walked into a a new stadium, or if you've ever been to Europe, a cathedral, or for like my kids walking into Disney, and you just kind of stop, and you just look around, like, man, this is something. Like, if you could have seen the looks on my boys' faces when we walked into Disney, like, specifically when we got to the, the Star Wars area, because we are 100% family of nerds, to see their faces, if I could distill it into words, it would, 
fall short because I'm not a poet, but it would sound something like, Dad, this place is incredible. It's so clean. There are people every, there's characters. That is Cinderella's castle. Dad, Millennium Falcon. Dude, that's where Chewie and Han are. That is amazing. And as exciting as it was as a dad to get to see this joy and the excitement, man, it, it, pair, it pales in comparison to the joy and the desire and the longing that's being expressed in this and in the following verses. Okay? And just to take a step back, I don't want to confuse you guys. The sons of Korah, the Korites, they are not excited about a building. Okay? They're not excited about going to the tabernacle. That's important that you hear that. There's a distinction. Okay? Verse 2 says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Man, can you hear that? That deep, heartfelt longing. Man, this is, this is poetry. Not to be in a building, but to be near and in the presence of the living God. The sons of Korah, and they're not saying, gee, God, I really like your tent. It's a really, I, I like the colors. It's really neat. They are expressing here in every fiber of their being that every single part and detail of the tabernacle is lovely and is beyond compare, not because of the architectural majesty or the intricate details of which that's a whole sermon series on the details of the tabernacle. They are excited and joyful because this is where the presence of God resides. Verse three, it says, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. Selah. Hmm. Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on chapter 84, he says this about these, these birds. He says, yes, the sparrow has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. These little birds so insignificant in themselves, were full of holy courage. And with sweet familiarity, they came even into the sacred place. And they hung upon the eaves of God's house, and they even dared to make their nest there. Man, how incredible is that? Can, can you hear the longing from the Korites? And maybe just, just a hint of holy envy here. It's like, not only did these birds go into a place that no man would enter, save for the high priest, but they made their homes there. They laid their young there. And the Korites are saying, God, let me be like the sparrow. I just want to be near you, God. But not only that, God, I want my kids raised in your presence. Dad, is that not our prayer for our kids? Moms, that they may know you, God. The Korites are excited about what it's like to be near and in the presence of God. 
They're so excited. They're just, come and see this. To everyone that hears, they're not only excited to get to be there themselves, they are excited about everyone on the way. And they just got to come and see. Come and see what it's like to be in the presence of God. They have a gut-level desire. They've experienced it. They want to get back to it, and they want to bring you with them. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praises. You see, some of the Levites, they lived right there to maintain and care for the tabernacle. And the Korites are saying, How lucky are they? How lucky are they that they get to be that close to the presence of God? They get to sing his praises every day. How blessed are they? Like for, for my boys, if we had gotten to Disney, I said, guess what? We're staying in the Millennium Falcon. Their minds would have been blown because they got to be so close to everything. The Korites are excited about being close and near the presence of God. So my question, first question for you this morning Guys, where are we longing to be? Where are we finding our joy and our desire? And where do, yeah, just where do we want to be? Are we longing for the weekend? That's it. Mm. The next section that we're going to get into here starts in verse 5. Listen, the sons of Korah, while they are excited, they know what it's like to be in the presence of God. They have an understanding that it's not always easy to get to where we long to be. Sometimes the road is filled with obstacles and setbacks. And sometimes we need to be reminded where we find our true strength. We need to be encouraged where to find strength. Verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Just to point this out real quick, while we don't know which feast, which pilgrimage this chapter is referencing, we do know that it was something that God commanded, right? In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to read it to you. It says this, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So this psalm could be specific to any one of the big three. But as I've read through it, as I've prayed over it, man, this sits outside of it. One, they don't even reference the big three. To me, the Korites, they're just excited that you're on your way. Doesn't matter the reason. They just want you to be there to experience God. And looking in Deuteronomy, we can see that these trips, they're, they're obligatory, right? To be a Jew, you are to obey, and this is one of the things God said you need to obey. But how many know God's not looking for our begrudging obedience? He's not looking for us to just fine, right? Paul even says in Corinthians that the Lord delights, he loves a cheerful giver. Not a giver giving because he must. And relax, I'm not asking you for any money. What I'm trying to do, though, is point you to the fact that there is a similar heart 
behind the pilgrimage and behind giving. And it's a heart of joyful submission to the Almighty God. And I know that there, might be, there may be some of you here or online that you're having a hard time joyfully submitting this morning. You know, maybe your heart's not in it. Maybe you're standing there during praise and worship and you're just not there. Your heart's not in it. You're distracted by the weight and the outside influences of this world and you just, your focus is missing. Hey, I get it. I'm right there with you. There's a lot of Sundays I wake up and my focus is not where it needs to be. My focus is on the struggles that I see. The, man, work was hard. I blew up at my kids again. You don't know what's going on in my marriage. I get it. And the sons of Korah understood that there are times where we will face things and in our own strength, we just can't make it. Spurgeon says this in those moments. He says, uh, listen, half-hearted worship, that is dreary work. But when the heart is in the service, we feel then as if we could dance for joy in the presence of the Lord our God. Listen, I, I believe the Korites knew how to dance for joy before the, God, before the living God. And sometimes we might feel exhausted and sometimes we might feel just weighed down by what the world is pressing in on us. And that we can't in our own strength just keep it up. I understand that at times it's difficult, if not impossible, for us to get to that place that we really and truly long to be when we rely on our own strength. Verse six says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The King James says they make it a well. The early rain also covers it with pools and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God, and look on the face of your anointed. Here's a little fun fact for you, free fact, a little biblical nerd knowledge. I get geeked out about this kind of stuff. Baca, or the Valley of Baca, is mentioned only once in all of Scripture, right here in chapter 84. Baca is translated to mean weeping. This is the Valley of Weeping. And in this chapter, it's understood that it is depicting a dry, desolate, barren landscape that the pilgrims on their way to the house of God must cross. Dr. Warren Wearsby, in his book, Be Worshipful, he describes Baca like this. He says, the valley of Baca is a name for any difficult and painful place in life where Everything seems hopeless. You feel helpless, like the pit of despair. Mm. How many of us have ever spent some time in the Valley of Baca? I think if we're honest, there might be some of us that are camped out there right now. 
But see, for the pilgrims on this journey, it's part of the journey, but it's not the destination. It says, as the children of God continue on their journey, they make it through the valley to appear before God in Zion. Wearsby goes on to say this, they get a blessing from the experience and they leave a blessing behind. But listen, it requires some work. It requires some digging. In those places of this journey, they have to dig deep to find refreshment. And what happens in those dry and desolate places in the valley of weeping, when we start to dig, well, it says the early rains come and it fills up the wells. You see, God provides in an abundance to his people even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of the valley of weeping. But I know that sometimes that's, that's hard to see when your head's down and you're digging. We don't always see the rains coming. Sometimes those rains, they don't get here as soon as we'd like, right? But here's the great thing that comes after the rain. After the rain, we get to look back and see what our God has done. And in looking back, we get to be a blessing to those that come behind us that are entering into that same valley. It says the pilgrims, the journeyers, they move from strength to strength. But they're trusting that it's God that's going to enable that next step. They're not moving from their strength to God's strength. They are trusting that it's God's strength and God's strength. In the good times and in the bad times. Hey, it's easy to trust on God in the hard times, right? It's easy to pray when things are going bad. It's when the the good things that are happening, are we still trusting that it's God that's enabling us to take those steps or are we feeling pretty good about what we're doing? See, not only do the Korites understand where truth strength comes in the good and in the bad, not only do they recognize that they need strength, but in verse 9 it says that they are crying out on behalf of their leaders. Let's read it again. It says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. They're saying, God, you've placed this man above me as my shield, as my example, as my authority. Oh, God, give him strength. The anointed ones were Saul and David and Solomon before the temple was completed. Man, each one of them were a poor example. See, the the king, his job was to be an example of faithfulness, of what it looks like to follow God wholeheartedly. And each of them, they messed that up. You see, they were a poor shadow of the true king and the true Messiah that was to come. But the Korites are saying, God, give him strength. Until you get here, just give him strength. As I read through this, I can, this verse, I can just see it for myself. God, I know that, man, when you look at me, if you look at just MD, you see a sinner with warts and everything. But, oh, but God... Oh God, look upon my shield. Look upon your anointed one, your son Jesus Christ and his blood and be pleased, God. 
Where are we finding strength this morning, church? Where are we finding strength to get to the place that we long to be? And is that strength, man, is that enabling us to dance for joy in the presence of God? Good times or bad times? Are we praying for those that have been set above us? So we move into this last section. As I read through it, I want you to think about this. The the Korites, the sons of Korah, man, they are excited about what they get to experience, but they are excited about the journey that people are on to get to see the same thing. So my question to you is, are you excited about the journey you're on? Like so excited you got to share it. Verse 10 says this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. All right. I don't usually use slides, but I really want you guys to see this. um, Because I think it's really important. All right. Here is a diagram of the tabernacle. All right. You've got the, the white linen curtain that surrounds. You've got the holy of holies, the holy place brazen altar, the basin, and the way out there is the outer courts. All right? The sons of Korah are saying, God, a day out there, just out there, I don't even have to get in the house. I just want to be in your front yard. Just one day. Oh, God, that's better. That's better than a thousand elsewhere. He goes on to say, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. All right, we're on the front porch now. God, I'd rather stay on the front porch. I don't even have to get in the house. I just gotta be near you. I will stand outside in the heat and in the rain and the cold to keep that door. I would rather do that than live in comfort in the tents of wickedness, God. Just let me be close. Just let me be close. Can you hear the excitement? Listen, the Korites, they're not, they're not people that come back from Disney and they, you say, how was your trip? And they just, oh, it was good. Ah, you know, we might do it again. I don't know. It was fine. No, they were the people that they get off the plane. They are fully dressed in Disney gear. They've got a lightsaber packed in the backpack. Guilty. And you don't even get to ask them about the trip because they're already telling you about it. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to ride here. We got to eat here. We got to try this. And not only are they excited about that they got to go, they're telling you about when they're going back. And not only that, oh, you got to come with us. Come with us. It's going to be great. I want you to see what we saw. The sons of Korah, they've been there. They know what the presence of God is like. And they can't help but say, come and see how amazing this is. All right, let's finish up. It says in verse 11, it says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. And no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, be blessed is the one who trusts in you. Okay. It says, God is both a sun and a shield. See, God provides both light and life, but he's also our protection. And believer, if you're in Christ, are you not protected? Are you not eternally and spiritually protected? It's a pretty good protection. It's a pretty good shield. 
It says, no good thing does he withhold. All right. How many here know that doesn't mean money? How many know that doesn't mean you're always going to have good health? Dads, it doesn't mean your kids are going to always say yes, sir, or no, sir. They're not always going to be obedient, right? This does not mean that the temporary, earthly, bad things are no longer going to happen to us. Do you, do you remember the Valley of Baca? Look, God's not out there to make you happy. Amen or ouch? See, God's not looking to make us rich. Although he does at times choose to bless some like that, okay? The reality is that God has already blessed each of us with an abundance. It just may not be the abundance that we were looking for or maybe the one that we think that we really need. Or God help us, the one we think we deserve. You guys ever heard of this man named Korah? See, God generously, generously poured out upon us grace through the birth, life, death, and the resurrection. Through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And just as the sons of Korah here, they are being generous and they are proclaiming to everyone that will hear them what it's like just to be near the presence of God because of the beauty and the joy and the life that it brings. Church, we are to be so generous with that which, which we have received because why wouldn't we be? Why wouldn't we be? We are to be excited about what we've been given. We should be out there saying, come and see what my God's like. Through love and joy, through humility, come and see. Come and see. Yeah, I've got bruises. Come and see what my God's like. And the last verse says this. Those that trust, those that believe are blessed. Doesn't say they're rich doesn't say all their problems go away, but they're blessed. And they're blessed because they get to be in the presence of the living God. Amen. Church, is our longing to be in the presence of God, overflowing to those around us. If we're believers, we've experienced the presence of God. Is our experience overflowing to those around us? Here's the great truth for you this morning, guys. The same God who filled the tabernacle, whose presence was there, who in the day embodied a pillar of cloud and at night a pillar of fire, that same God, the same God that the Korites are rejoicing and proclaiming, come and see, that same God desires to save you through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, that his spirit might abide within you. The sons of Korah, they lived their lives in and around and near the presence of God. Oh, but we're invited, church, to live our lives indwelled by the presence of God. And if that doesn't get you excited about this journey, I don't know what will. And listen, I'm not talking about the journey here on Sunday mornings, all right? That's like a, that's a pit stop on the journey. 
I'm talking to believers like your lifelong journey until you sit at the feet of the king. Are you excited about that journey? Not just the destination, but the journey. Because listen, that journey, that comes way before the destination does. Are you excited about the journey through what C.S. Lewis calls enemy-occupied territory, where we get to tell everyone around us, come and see. Come and see. Are we delighting church as believers because we've experienced the presence of God? Are we finding our strength and the author of strength, that it's he that gets us through the good times and the bad times? And in that excitement, in that overflow of our hearts and our joy, are we telling people around us? As as we close this morning, guys, there may be some of you out there and you say, you know what, MD, I don't know what that presence feels like. I've never seen it. I've never experienced it. Man, if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. Come talk to us. Come ask us. There's going to be some elders and deacons on the sides here as we close up. If you got questions, come ask. Let us share what the joy of the presence is like. Now to the believers, some of you may be saying, hey man, I get it. I know what that's like. Ugh, I just have a hard time sharing. I have a hard time sharing. It just, I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. What if they ask a question? I don't know the answer. Hey, it's okay. God's got the answer. I know I, I struggle. This right here, this is a lot of what, I, this is probably the most I've shared the gospel in a long time. And that's just because there's a lot of you in here. I struggle. I feel in those moments where the Spirit has pressed me. You've got to go talk to them. It's like, oh, I'm in a desert, God. I'm in the desert. I don't know what to say. But let the God who brings the rain speak for you. Okay? God knows the answer. He does. You are just a tool for God. You just got to be willing to do it. I'm going to close this in prayer. Uh, Team, if you guys can go ahead and come on up. Father God, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your infinite mercy and grace in sparing the sons of Korah that we might be able to read these words this morning and be encouraged and challenged, Father. God, I pray for those that may be sitting and saying, I don't know. I don't know that I've felt that presence. God, I I thank you that even now, your spirit is already pressing. Your spirit is already wooing and calling to them. Come and see. God, I pray that you would give them courage to take a step. And those, Father, that, like me, struggle to be joyful with that which I've received. God, as we leave this place, that we would be reminded that on our journey, God, you bring the rain. You lift us up. You pour out an abundance for us, Father. And that when we are presented with the opportunity to share that joy and that truth with those around us, God, that we would 
depends solely on you to strengthen us to take that step. God, that we can't do it on our own. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I pray that you would be with us as we go from this place. That you would bring your reins, oh God. That you would fill up the wells. Lord, that we might be a blessing to those that come after. And Father, that we 